In uh, a recent Messenger article, I uh, wrote about Psalm 19. And based on that, I discussed how God makes himself known to us through general revelation, special revelation, and personal revelation. The general revelation is how he is seen in uh, nature and in the universe and all the things we observed around us. And everyone in the whole world uh, who sees the light of day has that witness of God, the general revelation of who he is. But the special revelation is his written word that he has caused to be brought down through human agents. In our case, we call this the Bible. And it has not been complete in the experience of everyone, but your Bible represents the written revelation of God. But we also talked about the fact that for all of us, there's a moment of personal understanding in which God reveals himself as God to us, each one of us. And maybe some of us would have to say we have not yet encountered that moment. But hopefully you will as we meditate today and in the next few weeks. We're going to focus on what we're calling life verses. Some of you know what I mean by that because you chose a life verse at some point in your life. Some verse that really turned you on, that spoke about who you are in light of your relationship with God, and that verse kind of says it all for you. You may call it favorite verses, or you may realize that a life verse may represent one chapter of your life, but maybe the next chapter of your life, another verse in the Bible becomes more meaningful. Well, we'd like to celebrate that. We've um, uh, invited you to share life verses, and I've been impressed with how many have already, and uh, uh Still today, if you want to put it on a card in uh, the pew rack or send an email, I'd be glad to add it to the list of life verses, which we will talk about in the next few weeks. We also came up with an idea, and hope some of you will do this, that it would be wonderful to have a person, if we're talking about a particular life verse this Sunday, to have someone or some people share why that is their life. How did that become particularly meaningful to you? So I hope you'll be open to sharing that. We're not going to put the pressure on anyone, but we would love to hear from different people. Today, I wanted to turn, as way, by way of introduction, to Psalm 119. Now, this is not um, Psalm 19. This is Psalm 119. And uh, our theme slide focuses on one verse in Psalm 119. It's one that many of you know, Psalm 119, 105. And it is your word, or as we may have learned it as kids in the King James Version, thy word. Your word I have hid in my heart. That, how, how would this version say it? Oh, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And the light unto my path. See, I got the wrong life verse. Your word is a lamp unto my path, and a, or a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. 
Now, we're going to put that up there every week, so I'll get it right by the end of the series. I would like to read to you from Psalm 119. This is the psalm that verse comes from, but that's verse 105. 105. Here are the first eight verses of Psalm 19. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, that I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ordinances. I will observe your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, you can look at those verses in English, but you haven't yet lived if you haven't looked at them in Hebrew. <laughs> now, there they are in Hebrew. Now, I want you to notice down the right-hand side, you've got uh, numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Next to the number is the first letter of that verse, because Hebrew reads from right to left, right? You knew that. Okay, so the first letter of the first word is Aleph. That's the Hebrew letter Aleph, first letter in the alphabet. I'm going to say from Alpha to Omega in the Greek alphabet, the Hebrew says Aleph instead of Alpha. So that's the first letter. The second verse begins with what letter? Aleph. Third verse with Aleph. Fourth verse, fifth verse, sixth verse. Seventh verse, eighth verse, they all begin with Aleph. How can you understand this psalm without knowing Hebrew? Okay. Let's look, let's look at the next eight verses in Hebrew. Look at the numbers down the side, 9, 10, 11. What's the first letter? Right, reading from right to left, bait, beta, bait in Hebrew. And that's a B sound. Okay. 9, 10, 11, 12. They're all, they all begin with B. If I put up the next eight verses, you'd see they all begin with the third letter, which is Gimma. It's a G sound. But that's the third letter. How many letters are there in the Hebrew alphabet? Hands? <laughs> right. 22. I'm sorry. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And they're all consonants. Isn't that weird? Yeah, they're all consonants. So these 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, if each one gets eight verses, multiply it in your mind. 176. Look in your Bible or your phone. And you'll see that Psalm 119 has 176 verses. And the last eight verses begin with the letter Tau, which is the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Isn't that amazing? This is an acrostic psalm. It's not the only one. Psalm 111 and uh, Psalm 112 and also Lamentations chapter 3 has this. And, and why would you write a psalm like this that 
had that kind of acrostic study, that acrostic pattern? Well, it's so that you can remember it. If you're a young, well, first of all, you don't have books. The scribes have scrolls they write on, but average people are never probably going to see those. But if you're going to remember any of the words from this psalm, uh, you're going to have to know your alphabet. So you memorize. Kids were taught the first eight verses. They all begin with Aleph. So they learned the first eight verses, and then they learned the second eight verses, and so forth. Isn't that a clever way of teaching? Now, let's, you go home and take your uh, English Bible and uh, change the poetry. You're a poet. And change it around so every, every word in the first eight verses begins with an A. And make it that you see how hard it is, okay? So this was really not easy to do, but it was an important device in learning um, what God wanted to say and what was he trying to say. Every verse in Psalm 119 talks about the word of God, the, spoke, the written word of God. Now, there are different words used for it, which I'll share with you in a moment, but every word talks about God's word. Every verse, I mean, talks about God's word word so that's what this psalm is about you're a kid going to hebrew school you're going to learn about the importance of god's word i came to fuller to a Aldina baptist church about um a century ago it was actually in in 1972 and a person who was the member of the church dr ralph martin had also been the interim pastor. So the week before I preached my first sermon, he did. Now, Dr. Martin was the professor of New Testament at Fuller Seminary, right down the street. The professor of New Testament. So I couldn't preach anything except Old Testament. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, a few years later, 1983, a new professor of Old Testament came to Fuller Seminary, whom he had known in England, Dr. Leslie Allen. He brought him up to church here, and Leslie Allen and his family became active members of Altadena Baptist Church. I could not preach from the New Testament. I could not preach from the Old Testament. I just made stuff up. Yeah. Actually, both of these people were really, really gracious and supportive. They didn't expect me to be the scholars they were. But Dr. Leslie Allen's a wonderful guy. And he uh, uh, was a professor at Fuller until 2004. Uh, he and his family were active here. And now he lives in retirement at Atherton Homes, right across from Juanita Devon. I saw him just a couple of weeks ago. And he wrote a classic commentary on the, the Psalms from 100 to 150. So that's where I go when I'm preaching on these Psalms. And that's where I went on this. So Dr. Allen helped me to understand that this Psalm was writing about God's word and it used a variety of terms for God's word. The most common was the word uh, Torah. 
the first five books by Moses are the Torah. And maybe for the age when the psalm was written, maybe that was the Bible. Although Dr. Uh, Dr. Allen points out that there are some interesting glimpses from uh, Isaiah, from Jeremiah, and from Proverbs in this psalm. So that maybe the Old Testament that he had in his hand was bigger than just the five books of Moses. But he took, um, he borrowed from them when he referred to the Torah. And the Torah is the most frequent word used 25 times. The word word is used uh, 24 times. And that's a Hebrew word that's similar to the Greek word logos, which we get both our word word and logic from logos, the Greek word. It means both word and the thought behind the word. It's bigger than just word. It's So that Hebrew word is used over and over again for the Old Testament as the word of God. And um, the word judgments is used, the word covenants, decrees, commandments, ordinances, statutes, precepts. All these words are used, and they're used in a varied way through those 176 verses, just so that the kid who's learning this will not get bored. Uh, new ways of looking at what the Word of God is. And Dr. Allen pointed out that because this is all about the Word of God and it doesn't try to follow a theological pattern, it's just powerful things to say about God's Word and its influence in our lives. And he keeps saying them over and over again, and Dr. Allen calls it... uh, a kaleidoscopic patterning of things about the Bible in Psalm 119. It's like a kaleidoscope, you know? You turn that thing when you were a kid, you keep changing the color. God's word, God's revelation to us is many shapes and colors. And you'll find it all in the nuances in that psalm. So um, all of this leads us to the verse I want to focus on, Psalm 119. 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Got it right that time, didn't I? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we're just going to look at this one verse and analyze it, okay? And you'd be surprised where we're going to go with this verse. But this one verse, Psalm 109, uh, psalm 119.105, uh, what does, did this psalm say to the first people who read it? Now, according to Dr. Uh, Allen and other scholars, the psalm, uh, this psalm was probably written about 300 B.C. It, it refers to experiences in David's life, but it's a poetic review of those experiences. And this uh, was written, therefore, not in Palestine, but in Babylon, when the Jews were exiled in Babylon. And the priests and the scribes were studying God's word, looking, looking, looking for hope, and uh, trying to find a way to live in a slavery of what it amounted to in Babylon. And some of the best scholarship 
and the history of Judaism comes out of that period. And so to the people of his day, it had a meaning that focused on the Torah, the law. If you go to a Jewish synagogue today and they open up for a reading, they open up the uh, chest up front, which has a scroll in it. That scroll is basically the five books of Moses. That is the Bible of Judaism. Well, beyond the five books of Moses, the prophets, and then the writings, they're all recognized as scripture in Judaism, but the Torah is number one. So a person in that time would have seen this as a celebration of God's self-revelation in that scroll, that Torah, which they saw in the synagogue on Sunday mornings, not Saturday mornings. The temple, remember, was destroyed back in Jerusalem. So they started these learning places, synagogues, fellowship centers. And there, this uh, scroll would be honored. So when he says, your word is a light unto my path and a lamp to my feet, he is referring to that. Now, how does he know that? Well, he knows that because the rabbi told him that. He has not opened that scroll himself because nobody, the average person didn't have access to that. So that's what that word meant to him. But then I want to ask, and by the way, when, when, when we, Pastor Connie and I stand up here, it's our responsibility to tell you the truth about the Bible. We can't use the Bible. We have to be used by the Bible. That's what we believe. So we can't just tell you this is what it means and make something up, okay? In order to do that, we have to go back and study what did it mean when it was first written? What did it say to those people? And preaching the word means doing that homework as well. I think TLC leaders, Sunday school teachers, VBS teachers, all have a responsibility to do that as well. You trust your curriculum, but you really want to make sure you're telling God's truth about the Bible. So after we say, what did Psalm 119, 105 say to its first readers, then what does it say to people in a later time who were reading it, as these scribes put their material in context. What did it mean to people leading up to Jesus' time? In fact, what did it mean to Jesus' disciples? They too didn't go home and open their Bibles because there were no such things. The Bible was in the temple. So they heard it read in the temple and they honored it and they honored uh, the meaning of the text for them and the word became their guide. All of the laws, all of the regulations that they followed were based on the word which was a lamp, which was a light. What would be the meaning of this verse to somebody in the Middle Ages? I'm saying not to the king and his family, not to the aristocrats, but to the common peasant or the serf, what would the meaning be to that person? Well, that person, well, he, 
his knowledge of the Bible was something he saw from a distance in a, in a church. While some religious people, priests and assistants, walked around and held it up and so forth. But he knew it was important because everything they did and said was based on that. But he had to kind of take their word for it. So when he heard, your word is a lamp to my, I'm going to get it wrong again, to my feet and a light to my life. I'll get it, feet and path. Feet walk on path. Okay. Remind me of that, Judy. And so he would, he would understand that as the holy writing in the, in the church that learned people told him about, but he didn't have firsthand experience with. In fact, until you get to the Middle Ages or to the 15th, 16th century, when the printing press was invented, even after the printing press, you couldn't own a Bible if you didn't have a lot of money. So, people were dependent on leaders to tell them the truth about what the Bible said. Now, if you're, if you're in that time, or any of these times in pre-modern history, this acrostic would be really helpful. If you had Psalm 119, you know it's about God's word, but you wanted to remember this, and, and you memorized each eight verses with the acrostic pattern, that, that would be helpful to you. Now, it's not in English and it's not in Greek, but it is in Hebrew. You have to take somebody's word for that at that time. But they, they would not even not be able to see that, but they probably couldn't even see the poetic stanzas and see that it was powerful poetry. So then I asked myself, what did Psalm 19 say to believers in the 20th century? Well, the 20th century is me. So I grew up right in the middle of the 20th century, and the uh, B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's a book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. This is my uh, childhood Bible. It's got some stains and things in it. We had Bibles. We were taught to honor Bibles. So when I learned... Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Got it, right? Yeah. When I learned that, it was clear that's what it was. Now, that wasn't maybe what it originally was, but that's what it was, and that's what it's always been for me. But I, I went a little farther, and I, I, I said, what does Psalm 119.105 say to a young modern in... May, on May 14th of 2023, I see some young moderns here, Corrine and Myrna. So, well, they're not reading the Bible. They're looking at their cell phone. They, some, some of them wouldn't even know what this is, right? I mean, there are some young Christians who don't possess that book. They have... They have a phone, and it's all there. Why would I want to own the book? It's all on my phone. Now, you can read that verse on the screen, and, uh, 
and you may never have read it in a printed book, but that verse can be familiar to you, and you may know how to find it on your cell phone, but if I gave you this, you uh, 20-ish people, if I gave you this and asked you to find Psalm 119, oh. now, when I was a kid, I, we, we had Bible drills. Who can find this verse first? You get a candy bar, right? But there are, there's no right way because throughout history, that verse has been taught to and internalized by people in different ways. And it's all meaningful. It's all okay. Um, I actually went beyond this. What would Psalm 119, 105 say to you if, if this was your favorite verse, your life verse, and if represented God speaking to you in an aha moment? You've had aha moments, right? One or two. So I made up a scenario. Here it is. Uh, it's Mother's Day. So your son uh, made you a gift. Uh, he made it in vacation Bible school with the crafts that came in the program. And his gift was a battery-powered Bible lamp. Now, I tried to imagine what this might look like, and here's what I came up with. So, Okay, uh, don't, don't ask me the technology, but that's what your son made for you, that battery-powered Bible lamp, okay? A prized possession. And one night, one night you couldn't sleep. You don't know why. There was something off, and then you realized there was a funny smell in the room. And you got up, and you switched the light on, and it didn't turn on. And you realized you forgot to pay the electric bill. You grabbed your Bible lamp. It was powered by batteries. Boom, it went on. You went to the kitchen, you found you'd left the stove on, and there was a pan on there. The pan had almost melted. Right nearby was a, a, a loaf of bread which had paper covering, and you knew that you were that close to having that start a fire that could burn the house down, that could take down your life savings and kill your whole family. Ah, what would Psalm 105 119, 105 mean to you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You'd never be able to hear that verse again without thinking of the Bible lamp your son made for you. Now, that's a very personal experience, but it's real. It's you. And something like that happens when the Lord gives us a favor Bible verse. Not, not the Bible lamp. <laughs> but there's usually something that made that burn in us. Some childhood memory, maybe. I've, some of the people have turned and say, my grandma taught me this verse. That's why it means so much to me. Others connect it with a certain critical moment in their, in their lives. But if Psalm 119.105 becomes... Your life verse, because of that incident in your kitchen that night, oh, nobody else can quite get that. And, 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 and here's the thing. 
you can't think about that verse without thinking about that night's terrors and God's miraculous intervention. But nobody else has had that experience. And so, you know, nobody gets it, ever quite gets why that's your Bible verse, why that's your favorite verse, your life verse. You're convinced that experience is so real to you that you're convinced some lonely monk 300 years before Christ, he wrote that with you in mind. It's that personal to you. But it had a different meaning throughout history. And my point is that we need to find out what the Bible verse says. What it means to you right now is a wonderful thing. But go behind it. Go back into the time when that verse was written. See what God was saying to the people at that time. I've found some verses that are quite meaningful to people today, and, and they apply them and quote them as if they're, God wrote them today about their life experience. But when you go back, you find out it was written for the Jewish people at a certain point in a certain historical context, and it has different it has a whole lot of different meanings when you look at it that way. And that is a way of enriching our understanding. God may speak to you directly in a way that lights you up, but don't be surprised if other people don't share your aha interpretation. They haven't had your experience. Maybe your sharing that will help them, but it may not. Sometimes... Our experiences are so unique that other people don't get them. It's not your application of your favorite verse is not normative or absolute. Don't try to force it on other people. Don't try to make it mean for them what it means for you. We're going to look at all the verses that are given to us, some others I've found uh, favorite verses of some obscure people. <laughs> we may talk about those, but uh, I think we're gonna enjoy this time together uh, for the next several weeks. In the meantime, share your favorite verse with myself or Connie. I'm keeping a master list, so send it to me. And uh, rethink it, reapply it to your now experience. It may have been a verse that was meaningful for you in childhood, but what does it mean now? What does it say to you that's really, really powerful today where you are? And then um, rededicate yourself to the Lord as he brings you insight. Let's meditate for a few moments. Think of something in the Bible that lights you up. Maybe it's a verse you've constantly identified as your life verse or maybe another verse that comes to mind. And may this be the last thought you have in our worship time. Thank you, Lord, for your word and thank you that your word still speaks. 
to every generation. And may we be open to what it says to us. Not what it said to people 500 years ago or to our grandparents, but what it says to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.